0: Welcome to the Good Growing Podcast, episode number six. I am your host, Chris Enroth, horticulture educator with University of Illinois Extension based in Macomb, Illinois. And today we are talking about storm damage to trees. And this is probably might hit uh, pretty close to home for a lot of us. Um, We're gonna be talking a bit about what happens after you experience a tornado in your community and what happens. And so I have a couple guests today. Our first guest we have is Andrew Holsinger, a horticulture educator. Hello, Andrew. Hello there. And we also have Ryan Pankow, uh, also horticulture educator with U of I Extension.
1: Hey, thanks for having me on.
0: Oh, thanks guys for being on. I'm, I'm really glad that we could get together and do this podcast right now because we had some weird weather early December. It was December 1st, is that right, Andrew? Is that when this all happened? That's correct. Yeah, severe weather rolled through uh, west central Illinois. And we actually had tornadoes, which is, I mean, we in Illinois, you can sort of have a tornado any time of year, but it's pretty unusual to have it, you know, November, December, January timeframe. So um, where I'm at in McDonough County, we actually had a tornado roll through South Macomb, not too much damage here. But Andrew, you have kind of a different story to tell down in Taylorville. So tell us a bit about the the Taylorville tornado what was your experience and then like what, what was the aftermath what, what happened there
2: well actually the the tornado that hit uh, Taylorville they had a kind of what they say is an expansive warning of uh, approximately 40 minutes of warning but uh, closer to home I had a tornado that uh, went uh, right near my house and it was you know somewhat uh, unexpected to me I heard the sirens and uh, looked out the the window and here is a tornado approaching the house and so went and took cover and uh, just it was just uh, astonishing to me at how quickly uh, you need to be prepared to move into your place of shelter
1: so you could visually see the tornado
2: yeah i could see the debris in the distance in the tree line as it was approaching and it was like, we need to get downstairs, we need to get to the basement, and it was, uh, you know, after the fact, I uh, looked up the uh, statistics, if you will, on how far the tornado traveled and the time frame of when it started and when it ended, and you could factor and figure the speed of the tornado, and so I figured from where I saw the tornado, to where I was at at my door, I would have had, if it would have been uh, approaching me, 24 seconds to take cover. Wow. So I'm glad it didn't take the, the direction of my house, and it uh, luckily we only had a tree that fell in the backyard.
0: And you showed me a picture of the tornado path, and then you, you drew a line to your house. I mean, it was less than 1,000 feet away from, from you guys. I, it, it was incredible just to see the destruction, too, of some of the... Uh, the aerial photographs. Some people have taken like drone footage of what's happened, and I mean, you have houses; they're just totally gone. And there's these garages. The garage is gone. The car's still there. Maybe it's like askew a little bit on the cement pad there. But I mean, just pretty incredible the amount of damage. And and sort of what what we want to talk about today are the trees. You would look at these aerial photographs, and there would just be trees that look like a giant just came and just pulled them out of the ground, roots and all, and just popped them down, and it's just a really incredible sight to see. So, I mean, was there, you mentioned you lost your tree in your yard, lots of lots of other trees gone in the area?
2: Yeah, there was a, a tree at the neighbor that lost their house, and it was like it was a matchstick and twisted, and you could see that the whole tree was twisted and mangled and uh, just destroyed, and I... You know, later on, uh, realized that the the storm continued and it intensified and hit the community of Taylorville, and uh, they had quite a a path of destruction, if you will, throughout uh, Taylorville.
0: So uh, something I wanna I wanna hear from you, Ryan, especially because your background it's in forestry, uh, it's in arboriculture. Um, I, I wanna hear from you. So let's say we've just gone through a tornado um what, like what Andrew describes you come out of the house um from your perspective from your standpoint like what are the first things or what's your advice for people you know that are just emerging af- right after the disaster has occurred
1: so so yeah I actually to go back to my background Chris I, I have spent time as an arborist for about uh a number of years I've I've been a you know climber I've inspected trees I've installed cabling and bracing I've dealt with storm damage after the fact um, you know, all the training I get as a as an arborist tells me that the first thing you need to look for is all those electrical hazards. If you've got overhead power lines in your neighborhood, some neighborhoods have them buried, and you would know if you don't have power lines overhead, you don't you don't have them there. But but boy, that's just the most dangerous thing at that first shot of walking out because lots of things can be electrified that we we don't even see. So you know that that's probably step one is, is assessing all that potential for electric shock. Um, And certainly anything that is entangled with any type of electrical wire or pole or anything, you don't want to touch any part of that tree. Uh, You really don't even want to be on the ground near it. So that's the biggest first step of all the danger. Um, You know, secondly, I know a lot of folks really want to just jump in with the chainsaw and start clearing brush and getting it off their car or whatever it is. I can tell you from years of experience operating a chainsaw, there is nothing trickier than a tree that has fallen. And it's just, it gets really difficult to predict where the tension is on the limbs because they aren't, again, they aren't standing upright and all the tension on wood fiber in a tree's structure is meant to have, you know, be upright and, and growing up towards the sun. Um, so when you put that on its side and bend it and push it different ways, it's just really hard to predict where that pressure is going to re- result on your chainsaw bar. So, boy, if if you're not a pretty experienced chainsaw operator, I really don't recommend folks even touching some of these trees that are really mangled. So, I mean, I guess that's probably where I've seen the biggest, biggest incidents of injury and problems is when folks are trying to do it themselves and clear that brush away and it's it just is um, probably one of the most dangerous situations to run a chainsaw in when you don't – when it's just that unpredictable, massive pile of stuff.
0: So Yeah, I totally see what, what you're talking about here. I, I was in a tornado when I was at Kansas State University. Uh, it, it went right through campus, um, and it, it was nighttime. And the, the craziest thing happened, like I was – it went right over our head. We were in the library, we didn't even notice, but we came out and it was like a bomb literally went off and you see all, all these trees that are twisted and mangled. And the other crazy thing is all of these people just come out to start to like look and gawk and take pictures. And one thing that I saw, which I had never really thought of, but it makes total sense, is the city deployed its snow plows to clear all of the debris out of the streets and push everything out. And as people are gawking around and trying to stay out of the way of like snow plows, they are standing under these trees with all of these hanging limbs in them. And it's just, you, you just like, I oh, just want to like shout, like get out from underneath those trees. They are not safe. There's uh, they have those widow makers in them. So.
1: Oh yeah. That's, that would make me so nervous to see that. Um, And you know, that's just, people are just absolutely unaware of that giant tree canopy above them and it, it just it amazes me and in in so many situations like as a forester as an arborist that's one of the first things i look at in somebody's yard and any spot we go to and i guess one thing that's um, been interesting to me is uh I, I like to camp a lot my family likes to camp a lot and in spots where there's not uh, real designated campsites you know that the, the your typical tent camping spot where you just walk out and set up your tent. I'm always amazed at people that set up their tent right under a big dead limb (laughs) above them. So, (laughs) you know, people are just pretty oblivious a lot of times that, um, that's, that's a really good point, Chris, that you really don't want to walk out of your house and, and stand and gawk under, uh, something precarious or, or any, any tree that's received some damage, even if there's not something hanging up there, um, You know we see stuff come down in the next few days too sometimes that it's cracked it's damaged it may not look that bad from the ground but could be hanging by a thread so really until you have an assessment of what by by somebody that knows what they're doing by an arborist um you really don't want to be under that or under any of those trees that have been have been wind damaged
0: exactly and and you mentioned chainsaw operation um you know folks just just know that a chainsaw is the most dangerous piece of equipment that you can buy out of the garden center without any type of training uh, and just go home <laughs> and use it as your own free will uh, i've seen just some truly remarkable um stunts uh performed with chainsaw and i don't mean like circus stunts i mean like people like pruning things using like a step stool like i saw a guy pruning his burning bush with the chainsaw on a rickety old step stool it just makes no sense to me and they're just they're very Uh, very
1: dangerous yeah that is such a no-no to ever have your feet off the ground with a chainsaw in your hand (laughs) yeah yeah i mean you know as, as an arborist i would be tied in and secured one way or another to that tree if i had a chainsaw in my hand it's just i mean there's really specific OSHA regulations to how you operate a chainsaw in an aerial environment. So anything up off the ground. And yeah. Um, I, I, you know, another thing that's out there for folks that do a decent amount of chainsaw operation on their own is there, there's some great training courses through different, um, organizations that put them on. Um, there, there's a, a series of training courses the federal government has put out for chainsaw operators that um, you know are probably a little bit over the top for your uh, typical homeowner. But I, I just know even here in Illinois, uh, down in the southern part of the state, our extension forester
0: um, Chris, uh, Chris Evans. Evans. <laughs> mm-hmm.
1: Sorry, I was wanting to say Chris Inroth. But, no, uh, Chris hey, that's me. I,
0: I wish I could uh, could train people in chainsaws. Um, that's Chris Evans, and and if you go to Google Chris Evans, just know you're going to get a picture of Captain America. <laughs>
1: um, but yeah, Chris Evans, uh, we also have a forester here on campus, Jay Hayek. Uh, both of those guys put on some great chainsaw courses for folks that are just looking to use it around their property, and I mean, it, it may seem, you know, to some people that have ran them for a number of years, it may seem counterintuitive to go take a course that you know you know how to run it but you may be surprised when you hear it by the textbook how you should do it all, all the things you're doing wrong and i've seen over now nowadays you know I'm, I'm a horticulture educator i'm not an arborist in the field every day yet i do heat with firewood and i run a chainsaw a decent amount in my personal life and i i've had training and i even see some of that training start to fade you know i, I notice myself doing some some things I wouldn't have done back back in the day when I was out in the field every day. So it even when you're educated, it, it takes some refresher of that the, those skills and, and that safety you need to follow.
0: So, I mean, we, we're kind of steering folks away from having to do tree work, especially on these storm-damaged trees. So, Ryan, talk to me a bit about, since you were an arborist, if a homeowner wants to hire in arborist, what what do they want to look for when either they're having that initial discussion or what are some like must-haves that these arborists should show the, the homeowner?
1: Yeah, sure. I, I think the first thing that where you should probably start your search for hiring an arborist is to look at the certified arborist list. So the International Society of Arboriculture maintains an ha, has an arborist certification that you can earn um, and that's, uh, you, you have to have just a you know a degree in something related to forestry um, natural resources um, and you also have to demonstrate experience in the field before you take the test that they give you so then then you have to pass a test and then after that you have to maintain continuing education credits every year to keep your certification so it, it really is a a great way to know that you have somebody that's pretty well qualified giving you advice on your tree and if, if folks out there are interested in finding, accessing the certified arborist list, um, the, it's the International Society of Arboriculture that maintains that and they have a really easy to search and find website that's called treesaregood.com and on that there's a little tab that says find an arborist. You can go in there, um, you can search by your geographic area, you can set a search limit of so many miles around your house. Um, and, and find all the certified arborists that are for hire and their contact information. And then I'd say the second piece of of all that of everything you need to consider is that that arborist is insured because they can certainly become a certified arborist, but not carry the general liability insurance you should have. Any contractor that works at your house have so you're not liable for injuries or any type of disaster that can happen while they're there. So um, it don't. And, and homeowners should not feel bad in asking a certified arborist to see their proof of insurance. I I would want that before I allowed anybody to work on my property. Um, as when I was an arborist full time, I was I had that in my truck cab, and I was I was more than happy to hand that to somebody because I wanted them to have every all the confidence in the world that our company was fully insured and you know beyond that beyond just being insured we were we followed all osha regulations to maintain our insurance and there was actually some um some follow-up we had to do to prove to our insurance company that we were following those osha regulations we had to log every hour that we were up in a tree was one of the metrics that the insurance company wanted so that's just kind of another layer of protection for you as a homeowner that you know that companies um definitely doing everything they can to obey the OSHA standards to follow safety, and then they're insured if anything does happen.
0: Yeah, so arborist or certified arborist that definitely carries weight with that title. A- anyone with a chainsaw and a pickup truck can call themselves a tree trimmer. So you-, you have to be really careful uh, uh, with that too. I've talked to a couple other like municipal arborist or city arborist uh, one from Davenport I had this conversation with that whenever there was uh, you know some type of a windstorm or a disaster that that damaged trees he, they would get a lot of these fly by night tree trimmers that would come into town and just just hack away at people's trees and just charge so much money and it, it you know it and the people would have to then pay an actual arborist to come out and either fix the problem or just remove the tree altogether U of I extension what we recommend is uh getting in touch with a certified arborist for that tree work
1: yeah and it, that's just one super complicated aspect of a storm damaged area and i'm sure taylorville's experiencing this right now that you know all the established tree companies are flooded with calls um and and really from somebody that's been in that position, you're probably going to handle your established customers and folks that you've worked with first. So when you're a homeowner that doesn't have any type of relationship with a tree care business, it's hard to find somebody sometimes. And so those, all those guys that are fly by nights that pop up after the storm, um, are the people that are answering their phone and showing up. And so it's, sometimes it's hard to wait for a reputable company, but it's really critical that you do. Um, because you really want to get good advice in assessing the damage to your tree and what the next steps are.
0: Andrew, do you, do you know, is, is there a short list of certified arborists or does Taylorville have like a list of people that have, you know, that have been approved to work within the city there?
2: I know that we've, uh, had a list gathered in the, in the past and we based it on that website for the people that were around the area that were certified arborists and, uh, it doesn't take long for, uh, you know, from personal experience, uh, the business cards started showing up at the doorstep of people wanting to inspect the roof or take care of your trees. or, or So you just have to be cautious uh, when those opportunities uh, arise that you research the company and make sure that it's a valid uh, arborist that you're dealing with.
0: Well, that was a lot of great information about what to do, when, faced with storm-damaged trees and how to get in touch with a Certified Arborist and what to look for. Join us next time as I keep discussing with Ryan and Andrew how to make our trees more resilient to storm damage and also which trees that Ryan recommends that we plant in our backyard. Please consider subscribing. We are available on iTunes, on the Google Music Play Store, Stitcher, and SoundCloud. And as always, thank you for listening. Keep on growing.